Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. about hot sauce. It's, it's, it's kind of like coffee in that, you know, you have your Starbucks people and then your Dutch Brothers people, and people are very committed to their coffee. Hot sauce is kind of like that. I mean, I'm a Tabasco guy myself. Cholula, Tapatio, no, can't do that. Um, so, but whatever your favorite is, if you could uh, bring that in this is one of those things that we don't get a lot of from our other sources, like through Oregon Food Bank. You know, we order uh, every week, Michael Jordine orders for us, and there's no checkbox on there for, you know, like two cases of hot sauce. So it's just one of those things that we don't normally get through our, our regular sources and is nice to provide for people. So we're trying to do our best to serve our community in that way. So we appreciate you guys' help with that. So good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Welcome. Um, Welcome to folks watching us. I, it's, I'm trying to remember to address our, uh, our online community each week. We were talking uh, this morning before service, Stephen and, and Stephanie and I were talking a little bit about just how changes are happening in our world, a lot of them initiated by COVID and the pandemic, but churches are, and businesses and others are adapting and how long-term those are good things. And we might... Uh, we'll continue to stream ongoing. We never streamed prior to this, uh, but this pushed us to have to do that. And now that we've got the technology set up, um, we'll continue to do that. So it's uh, it's exciting to be able to say hi to you guys wherever you are. Uh, if you're home having your coffee or your eggs with your hot sauce, we're glad you're there and we're glad you're here. So we have, uh, we're going to continue our series in Ephesians this morning. The uh, series is called Living a Life of Love. That is a phrase from Ephesians, I think, chapter 5, which we will probably get to sometime in the fall or maybe next year. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. We won't take that long. We're moving, we're moving pretty good. We did nine verses last week. I think we do nine more today. Um, but we ended last week with a description of God's power. And, and the, uh, the NIV text reads, God's incomparably great power I said uh, last week, I mentioned that in the Greek, that's not what it reads, that there's no direct translation from Greek to English on that phrase. It would really be something like God's powerfully powerful power, or as I put it, God's power to the 10th power, which Emma Shea is a math teacher, and she tried to explain to me last week after service what 10 to the 10th power would be and, and how... how what that number would look like, and there's a name for it, and I I couldn't understand the explanation. So I, it's it's way out of my league. I'm not a numbers guy. I'm a words guy. Um, but I, I what I came away with was that it's big. It's a lot of power. God's incomparably great power is is big. And today, uh, in in the following passage, Paul continues to to kind of give us a little insight into how that works, what the outworking of that power is. And and we 
we understand that power in and of itself, you know, it's, it's not an end in itself, that it does something. We, we rate, uh, you know, car engines and other things in horsepower. And a, a larger horsepower engine will accomplish more work and go faster than a smaller horsepower engine. Light bulbs are rated. There's power ratings in watts. And a 100-watt light bulb has is brighter, has more power than a 40-watt light bulb. So we kind of understand the ratings of power. I learned this this week. This is, I, you know, in my research, I feel sometimes like I should share with you guys some of the, the deep insights that I gain. So this is what I learned this week. I had no idea. One horsepower, did you know one horsepower is what is required to lift 550 pounds by one foot in one second. That's one horsepower. Did anybody know that? No, see, you learned something today. I had no idea. All my life, I've, I, have, I, I have been deceived. I believe one horsepower was what one horse could pull. But no, 550 pounds, one foot, one second. That is the equivalent of one horsepower. Uh, who knew that? And clearly, who cares, right? Um, what, what does any of that have to do with uh, the text and with God's interaction in our life, I think, I think it, it has this, and, and, and that is the incomparably great power of God can accomplish things that nothing else can accomplish. That the power of God, Paul tells us, can take something that's dead and make it alive. And that really is what we're going to focus on this morning. Uh, in, in chapter 1, and, and Ephesians, again, it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a favorite of a lot of people. It covers a, a lot of ground in a short period of time, or short, you know, six chapters. But um, chapter 1, Paul described how uh, the power of God raised, raised Jesus from the dead. He was dead, and God's power made him alive. And now in chapter 2, he furthers that same thought by saying that we too were dead, like Christ, and that in Christ now we're raised to life. Um, teaching this passage in the past, uh, which I have taught this before, it's been quite some time, but I always title it The Great Before and After, if you put that up. Um, and we all understand that kind of concept. You know, you see those before and after pictures in magazines or on infomercials where you got weight loss or, or, or hair growth, you know, sometimes a surgical procedure, you know, like dentures, you get new teeth or new something, you know, whatever is uh, the doctor can do. But um, this year I decided to add a subtitle. I want to be a little more current. So instead of the great before and after, we're going to call our text today, our, our passage today, Walking Dead No More. Uh, that's Is that The Walking Dead, the, sh- the TV show? I've never seen it. Um, but are those, those are zombies, right? Are they zombies? I don't know about zombies. There's things I'm concerned about in life, and that's not one of them. Um, but they're, they're the walking dead, and I thought that's, that's what's, uh, you know, current, so we'll call our, our, uh, message today, Walking Dead No More. Let's pray, and then we'll, I'll try to be serious for a minute. Um, Jesus, thanks so much for your word, and I just, I do pray that, we could deepen our relationship and our understanding of you and how you work and what you do in our lives this morning as we look into this text in Ephesians and that we would realize that uh, the life that we have really is all in you. And we are indebted to you for that. We're grateful to you for 
uh, pouring your life out for us and into us. In your name we pray, amen. Let's uh, begin with verses 1 through 3. Read those together. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So the before picture is not a pretty picture. As for you, he starts off, you were dead. Um, and it's a little bit like the, the, the walking dead, the zombies or whatever those creatures are there, there's actually some correlation in that he says you were dead, but we're actually not physically dead. People were, were, were walking around, we're living, breathing, working, doing the things that we do, but we're spiritually dead. At the end of the prodigal son, and if you click to the next slide there, the father, the, the, you guys know the story. It's one of the most beautiful stories in all of Scripture, really. Uh, the son comes home, and the father welcomes him, and then he makes this comment. He says, this son of mine was dead, now he's alive. By the way, that uh, you can't see it very good, but if you want to look it up later, the image there is uh, Rembrandt painted a picture of the return of the prodigal, and it's really powerful to just uh, meditate on it for a little while. You see the brother there looking on, but you, what you can't really see very clearly, but if you look at it closely... There's these other sort of shadowy figures and it's sort of demonic forces looking on and it's like there's all these things are staring at disapproval, but nothing can stop the father from welcoming his son home. And then if you look even closer, you see the father's got his hands on the son's back and one of the hands is really masculine like a father's hand, but the other is feminine like a mother's hand. And it's really this just this all-encompassing love of this son who's come home. It's a powerful, powerful image. The son of mine was dead. And now he's alive. There's a spiritual deadness that can happen in the lives of uh, believers that, quite honestly, is as deep and as profound as a physical death. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. Some some people experience it, I think, before they come to know Jesus. You Again, you're going through life... And you're just living your life. You're, you're doing the things that you think you're supposed to be doing, having a good time, you're having fun, whatever. But inside, you're, you're dead. And, and, you, and you realize it, and you know it. And there's something missing. There's something lacking. And very often in that condition, we don't know what that is that's lacking. But uh, it can be something that the Holy Spirit uses. And I, I've talked to lots of people over the course of my life who the Holy Spirit reached out to them when they were in that place of sort of spiritual deadness and allowed them to see that they were spiritually dead and then used that to draw them into relationship with God. Um, some of us, though, we can experience that same kind of deadness even after we become a Christian. And, and that's even more difficult, I think, when you've known the goodness of God and the presence of God in your life, and then whatever happens, and there's a lot of things. Sin can cause us to distance from God, apathy. There's all sorts of things that can enter into our lives and separate us from God a little bit and push that distance out. Um, 
But I just want to, if anybody is listening today, whether you're here or home or whatever, and you find yourself in that position, I would just encourage you, come home, you know, come home. The Father's waiting, and it's a way better place to be. It's a way better place to be. And I, and I know, I've been there, and, and uh, it's, it's a better place to be. So if you find yourself separated from God, don't allow the enemy to lie to you and tell you, oh, it's okay, you know, you can turn around tomorrow, go back later, whatever. It's come home. Paul tells us there's three factors that, lead to that, contribute to that spiritual deadness in our life. The first one is the ways of this world. Um, there's a construct to culture. And we live. We all live in culture. We live in different cultures, but we, there's, a, there's a construct to any culture that anybody lives in. And there are some similarities in all of them in that whatever is normal in that society or that culture becomes normal for us. We take that on and it seems normal and it seems right to us, even if it's not. And uh, any culture, again, and our culture has those little phrases that will describe sort of that cultural context that we live in. And if you think about, may the best man win, or it's a dog-eat-dog world, or I remember a few years ago there was a bumper sticker, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Those are phrases that describe the construct of our culture. That's, that's the norm. That's what sort of is put forth as, this is how you make it in this culture. The second thing Paul says is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and here's the deal. That cultural construct that we live in isn't by accident. It has an engineer, an architect, and a CEO, and, and the, the, that, that's the devil, the bad guy, Satan, Beelzebub, whatever you want to call him, uh, he is the one that builds that cultural construct, and he really, really is a bad person. He's, he's Voldemort and... Walter White and Hannibal Lecter all rolled into one. That's bad. I don't even know who Voldemort is, but he's bad, right? He's bad. Yeah, I don't know. There we go. But here, here's the thing, and let me say this. This is, I, I did, <laughs> I was trying to be funny there, but... This is not funny, and that is that those are fictional characters, right? And so in one sense, you know, in fiction, you can make this really evil character be evil, but but the truth is the devil's real. He's not a fictional character. He's very, very real, and one of the biggest mistakes we can make is to discount the reality of the influence of, of his power and his presence in our own lives. Go to the C.S. Lewis quote for me. The next slide says, Lewis is brilliant, man. I'm just saying I've never read a better quote about how we approach the devil and demonic forces in my life than this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, demons or the devil. One is to disbelieve in their existence, just pretend they don't exist. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So there's two extremes we can go into. And sometimes you've been in that place where kind of the devil made me do it. You know, there's a demon behind every bush. And we can shrug our own responsibility by blaming 
the devil for everything. And, I, and I've seen people do that, and, it, and it's unfair in terms of how we get back engaged with God again. We can't get there if we don't take responsibility. But the other side of that coin is that we can discount completely the devil and his influence in our life and leave that out. And as I said before, you know, he's real, he's focused, he knows your name, and he never takes a day off. He's working all the time. And if we lose sight of that, we can fall into that trap of allowing his influence to draw us away from God. Paul tells us the third and final influence is is one we really don't like to talk about, and that is the flesh. And the reason we don't like to talk about it is this, because the first two are external. They are forces that are outside of us that impact our lives. This one is internal. It's a force that's inside of us that rises up out of us and impacts how we relate with God and how we relate with others. And the truth of the matter is this, that it really is everything that we are minus God. It's me at my very, very best without God in my life. Everything that I can do without him equates to the flesh. Um, And I say that about myself, but the Apostle Paul Apostle Paul says it about himself too. He says all of us. And I so appreciate that he includes himself in that number because the truth is this, that one of the requirements for transformation is the ability to take that responsibility and acknowledge uh, those things in our own life, our own sin, those things that separate us from God and disallow us from moving forward with him. There, and, and, and we see this, and there's, there's any number of folks walking around today in society as well as in the church that are just thinking, hey, I'm okay. I'm just fine. I'm doing, I'm doing okay in my life. Um, you know, I, I can look at uh, corporate raiders and corrupt politicians and evil people, and I can say, man, I'm sure glad I'm not like, you know, that tax collector over there. But the truth is that Paul nails it. Like the rest, we're destined for wrath. We too are really just um, destined for deserving of the dump, Gehenna, being outside of God. Verse 4, and if you go to the next slide, this is from the Passion Translation. I really, I read it in a few different translations this week. I really like this. But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. And then the the continuing, the rest of the text, go ahead. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm, for we are now co-seated as one with Christ And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He says a lot there, but the... uh, 
the reality is that the dividing line between before and after, between what we read in 1 through 3 and what we read here in 6 through 9, is but God. God is the dividing line. He's the point of separation. He, he, he breathed life into something dead and made it alive. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul puts it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So we now have life in him. And it, it's a good deal because it's not just life. It's his life. The life of Christ is in us. God said, look, you give me your death. I'll give you my life. You give me your death, I'll give you my life. How does it happen? One more slide. By grace through faith. By grace through faith. It's the gift of God, the grace of God. All we have to do is say, yes, that's what I want. That's what I want. Um, Matthew 28, there's a profound thing. Jesus is on the cross, if you remember. And in Matthew, there's two thieves and they're mocking him in Matthew 28. If you read Luke, and it's not, I didn't, it's, the text isn't, isn't down there. So um, if you're worried about that, I didn't put it down. In, if you read Luke, Luke 23, which is this, Luke's version of that same time frame, it says that one of the thieves was mocking him. Matthew says they were both mocking him. Luke says one was mocking him. And the other looked to Jesus and he said, Jesus, when you get into your kingdom, will you remember me? And it's easy to look at that and say, okay, there, is there a discrepancy in the text? How come Matthew says one thing and Luke says another thing? And I think there are those people that, are, you know, are looking for errors in the Bible and they'll point that out. How, how are these two things the same when they're really not the same? Well, this is what I think. Call me crazy, but I think there's a two-minute delay. I think that Matthew's text was about a minute or two before Luke's text. And I really think they were both mocking him. But then one of those thieves looked into the eyes of Jesus on the cross. And he saw something that he had never seen before. And he saw this man who had done nothing wrong and was being crucified and loved him. And he said, remember me. Would you remember me? And I believe in that moment, his heart changed. And that that's what God can do for any heart in any condition. If he can change the heart of that man on the cross, he can change the heart of anyone. And that, we talked last week about revelation. And let me tell you, that, what happened right there, doesn't happen by information. You can read every book in the world and be the smartest guy on the planet and that not happen to you. That that happens as you look into the eyes of Jesus and it's revealed to you who he really is. That at your worst, he looks at you and says, I love you. And what did he say to this guy? Today you'll be with me. Today you'll be with me. Today, by grace through faith. That guy did nothing to earn that. You were dead. Now you're alive. You're made alive. You're raised up. You're given a seat in heaven. As much as the before picture is the total human condition, the after picture is also the total human condition. Everything in and about us is changed and transformed in the life of Jesus. 
It includes forgiveness. It includes deliverance. It includes healing. It, it includes life, abundant life, eternal life. It's all of the above. It's by grace through faith. Uh, Steph and Stephen, if you guys want to come back up, I'll, I'll wrap up. But here's the closing comment. Why? Why did God do that? What, what compelled Jesus to want to do that for us? Here's the thing. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. He wanted to. Uh, that's who he is, and that's what he does. And if you go to, there's a little cartoon. If you go to the last slide, Jesus, what business are you in? The business of life. That's the business Jesus is in. That's what he does. He brings life. Um, verse 7 says, In the coming ages he might show all his incomparable grace. The word ages is an interesting word because in the Greek, it denotes, like we think of ages as a measurement of time, but in the Greek, it's a measurement of time and space. It's, it means both ages as, as we think of it, but also means universes. So what the, in that one word, what it's really communicating is that throughout all time, everywhere across the universe, your life stands as a testimony to the goodness of God. That's who you are to him. Throughout all eternity and all the universes that there are, and they find new ones all the time, right? Your life stands as a testimony to who God is. So why don't we stand and we're going to close with some worship. And I just want to encourage you that this morning, um, if there's anything that's putting any distance between you and God, to just surrender that to him and say, Lord, I, I just need you back in my life. I, I, need, you, I need a fresh touch from you today. I want to I draw near to you today. I want to come back into your presence today, Lord God. I want to receive that goodness that you have. I want to come back into that place of life, abundant life. I really want to be closer to you. I want my life to be a reflection of your glory. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.